Brought to you by North Memorial Health, where customers are treated like family. That means a big smile when you walk in the door and making sure your visit is as pleasant as possible. It's just like your family treats you. Find your healthy family at northmemorial.com slash family. Welcome to another episode of the Axis Vikings podcast. My name is Andrew Kramer, joined by Ben Gessling and Jim Suhan via Zoom after the Vikings demolition, I guess, in New Orleans. What would you call it, Jim? You were there for us. What would you call what just happened to the Vikings? It was absolutely an embarrassment. And it doesn't mean you can't make this excuse or that excuse to talk about an injured player. You still gave 52 points. You are playing a – and we know they weren't going to make the playoffs, but technically this game mattered to them, and they gave up 52 points. And, again, while Kamara is a very good running back, his largest rushing total this season going into this game, 88 yards. He had that, what, early second quarter? I mean, yeah. this was a complete embarrassment. It was an embarrassment to the players who allowed it to happen. And, frankly, it was an embarrassment to Mike Zimmer, who's supposed to be a defensive wizard, and we did not see any wizard wizardry today. And it had the Saints afterwards and Sean Payton, everybody's, so if you're the Vikings or a Vikings follower, you love Sean Payton for any number of reasons. Uh, if you can sense the sarcasm in my voice, he comes out afterwards and is talking about Gale Sayers because for the first time since Gale Sayers, somebody scored six touchdowns in an NFL game. That's what Alvin Kamara just did to the Minnesota Vikings. As Jim mentioned, 52 points they put up the most yardage to 580 something ever put up on the Vikings in franchise history. And then Kamara leading the way. Um, ben, uh, we heard from Mike Zimmer. He seemed kind of out of answers to what was going on here and just admitted flatly it's a bad defense. Yeah, I mean, he, he got asked in August by NFL Network about this idea of rebuilding the defense on the fly because Harrison Smith had said, I don't think we're, I didn't know we were supposed to be bad. And there was kind of this attitude of, oh, you guys all think that we can't do this on the fly given the track record we have around here. Um, and he, Zimmer said, uh, I, I've never had a bad defense ever, so I don't anticipate that changing. He got asked about that quote again today, and he basically came out and said, yeah, it's a bad defense. It's the worst one I've ever had. So, I mean, credit to him, I guess, for not running from it, but um, it, I don't think he had a lot of options today. I mean, that it's hard to do anything other than say, yeah, we just got whipped. Yeah, and this is embarrassing for Mike Zimmer. This is embarrassing for the players that were out there because he had said at one point, too, that this isn't necessarily about youth. Youth isn't about missed tackles. Youth isn't about uh, just physically being manhandled, I think he said at one point. Um, Jim, on TV, it certainly looked like the Vikings couldn't gain an inch on the line of scrimmage. I guess, was it as overpowering and obvious as it looked from television watching in person? Yes. Uh, I think one real advantage you have when you watch a game in person from the press box, as you guys know, is you get to go, you get to look where the camera might not be looking. And so I spent, and usually that means you're watching routes develop and trying to figure out if the quarterback could have done something more intelligent with the ball. In this case, it was, you watch the defensive line and they just, sure, would they be better with Daniel Hunter and Michael Pierce? Of course they would. Um, but everybody has injuries. Everybody has had COVID losses this year. And, you know, like Fede Adenabo, when he was your fifth defensive lineman was a really good player. When he's your best defensive lineman, you're going to have some trouble here. Uh, they are not, they are not a good front four. They are not a good front seven right now. And I can't tell if Smith, Harris are having bad years or if they are just sprinting around trying to help 
eight other players and they can't even do their own job because of that. Yeah, it's hard to, you're right, because it's hard to tell when you see, when you see Anthony Harris, for instance, stand up Alvin Kamara at the goal line and, or near the goal line. And it's usually a play that you can see them make. And you've seen Anthony Harris make that kind of play before in years past. But week 16 of this particular year, um, he's falling backward and Alvin Kamara is running over him for the touchdown. And those are the kind of plays that you're not used to seeing from these guys. Harrison too. Harrison missed, I think there was a, a tackle. It might have been Taysom Hill. Somebody got out on the edge and Harrison totally whiffed. And you just don't see those kinds of things from these guys. Uh, Eric Wilson too has had a very good year. It just seems like they're kind of reaching this breaking point of, you know what? We've kind of given all we've had up to this point and it, and there might have been some business decisions made on the field from some of these guys, because I don't think we were seeing a hundred percent from even the veterans that were out there. And then that's, we haven't mentioned that Blake Lynch an undrafted linebacker out of Baylor, a guy who played like eight different positions at Baylor. He's not even really a linebacker. They got him out there starting a game because they're out without Troy Dye. They're without Todd Davis. Eric Hendricks has missed a month. And then of course we all know Anthony Barr has been out since September. Um, they just don't have any bodies in there. And then the ones that are supposed to be doing the jobs just aren't getting it done. Ben, you threw something interesting out there about the worst rushing days in Mike Zimmer's Vikings tenure. And most yeah. of them seem to be when a team would be getting run down, which makes sense, right? But this is also a Vikings franchise that works pretty hard in terms of day-to-day practice under Mike Zimmer, too. Yes. Um, these kind of days typically come in November and December when they give up this kind of rushing yardage. Yeah, so I, I was curious about this, you know, largely because we'd seen it two weeks in a row or two times this week, really. I mean, two times in five or five days or whatever it is. Um, and we've seen this happen before. So I, I just looked it up where it ranked and the, the previous record was the infamous Carlos Hyde game against the 49ers in, in 2015 in that opener on Monday night. Uh, that is the only one of the top 15 rushing days a team has put up against a Mike Zimmer defense that came before November 22nd, I believe it was. So the other 14, including today, including the Bears game, including the Cowboys game this year, are all late November or after. And you add to that some of the things we saw in the playoffs in 2017 when you know, yes, they got to the NFC title game, but they were up 17 nothing at halftime against the Saints. Uh, they got outscored 62 to 19 in the last six quarters. Uh, 55, I guess, would have been again on offense because the Eagles had a pick six in that game. But we've seen this happen enough that I, you know, when I saw that, I was kind of like, it was kind of, I kind of went in looking to see where that stood up, but I was shocked that it was that many because you've. They just kind of, they add up over time and you, you don't quite know until you see it. But yeah, it, it was almost all of them. And you hear this, I mean, I heard it again a little bit today, you know, some chatter from a few former players that have talked about, you know, we end up in this boat a lot because as you mentioned, they practice hard. Um, they have tended to have the outlook of our problems can best be fixed by working our way through them. Well, Okay, but you also get to a point of the season where you just physically don't have enough juice left to make plays. And, and whether that's it or whether it's um, a number of other factors involved, it's hard to say for sure. But it's it's certainly an interesting trend that 
I think is probably somewhat concerning if you're looking at it from, from their perspective. Yeah, and I think it's worth bringing up not to say that it had a big impact today because they're playing a game five days after they just played a game. They're without half their depth chart on defense. Certainly there's a million excuses for what went wrong today. And then on top of the guys who were playing, as we mentioned, playing just very, very poorly. Um, Jim, I guess how much of this do you put in general on Mike Zimmer? And is it even fair to ask that question? Because I think that's the question people are asking right now is, I think a performance like today is a confluence of what Ben talked about, which is that the Vikings always seem to wear down in December. Their record the last three Decembers for a team with championship aspirations is five and nine. They are, they just played three games that either felt like or were must win games and they got rocked. Um, and if it's just one year and it's just injuries that one year, then it's a pretty valid excuse, you know. When it's a trend, then the excuse loses some steam. Uh, of course, would it be better if? I mean, so let's face it: no, no Hunter, no Pierce, no Kendrick, no Bar. Well, if you had all four of them, of course you'd be a better team. You can't always expect to have everybody healthy for a big game in December. Everybody's missing somebody. Saints were missing a couple of good players today. If you had two of those four, do you win this game? I don't know if everybody else is missing tackles, you know, it's so Zimmer wants to have the excuse, but not be the person who has to champion the excuse. But as he said, missing tackles is really not a youth thing or a talent thing. If you're in the NFL, you should be able to make a tackle. They couldn't even tackle it. Yeah, they, they absolutely could not. Ben, do you have something? Well, and, and, I mean, to, to your point, Jim, yes, they're beat up this year, but let's look back at it. Last year, they had a, a chance to go win the NFC North. They lose in Seattle in December. They lose to the Packers on a Monday night. Now, they had a, you know, a stone's throw of a chance to win the NFC North at that point. So they, they take Dalvin Cook out because he's beat up. But again, he's beat up because he's had a lot of work. And then that game against the Bears, they rest starters. But still, it's two losses in December to playoff teams that you, if you're able to take one of those games, maybe it's a different story in terms of the NFC North. 2018, they go into December, and really the last six, seven weeks of that season, with a good chance to go to the playoffs, potentially win the NFC North if things go right against the Bears. They lose two to the Bears. In December, they lose to the Patriots, they lose to the Seahawks, and then they lose the game at home against the Bears that they could have won to put themselves in the playoffs when the Bears had already clinched the division. So we've seen it really three years in a row, key losses in December. Uh, 17 is kind of the outlier for a lot of this stuff. I mean, 17 is the outlier really for everything that they've done in the Mike Zimmer era. But they, you know, 16 was losses late in the season when things kind of fell apart. Um yeah, I mean, in 14, they had a couple as well. They were they were awfully young, man. But I think you look at anything past 15, really other than 15 to 17, this has been a trend every year. And to follow up on that, why would a team play more poorly in December, year after year? Two things. You already brought up the – you get worn out in practice. These guys need fresh legs. They need to be healthy, and they need to feel rejuvenated by Sunday morning. I'm not sure Zimmer gives them that opportunity. Corollary to that is, if you have a grumpy old coach, that might be cute in September. It's going to be really old by December. 
Yeah, that's a that's a fair fair consideration, I think. Even that 2017 season too, because we we do this thing Ben and I do anyway, where we often like to delve into the past um, of past Viking seasons. But even that 2017 season, they had a horrific uh, run defense game. I think it was in Carolina where Cam Newton. Oh, yeah. Yes, yes, that um, was actually in the top five when I looked that up today. It was like yeah, and I, and I was like that defense, the number one in the NFL, we had yes, that kind right. of a day. Um, and they did. And it's just, it's interesting to see that when it goes wrong and when it breaks, it breaks and it, and it really breaks in December as we've seen this. Um, speaking of just odd seasons and, you know, I guess abnormal outcomes like we just saw. Um, Jim, I wanted to get your thoughts on just being in New Orleans for this game. You were one of the only, um, media members from Minnesota to travel out there. What was it like just walking around the city in this kind of environment for national te- television? It would be kind of not, not totally playoff-like, but it would be similar to that normally, wouldn't it? Yeah, and I wrote my column largely about this. I've been – the first Super Bowl I ever covered was after the 1989 season, which was my first year on an NFL beat. That was in Dallas the year before I came to Minnesota. And I've been back here, it feels like a million times, between Super Bowls, playoff games, Viking games, college bowl games, NCAA tournament games, vacations – Stories on Brett Favre, whatever. I, I, I just feel like I'm down here all the time. And I love the city. And it's not because of Bourbon Street. I love the, the culture, the history, the great restaurants off the beaten path, the vibe. It's like, to me, it's the happiest city in America. And it, it's an entertainment city. They want you to have a good time when you're here. It, however you choose to do that. And this place is dead. It's absolutely dead. There are restaurants that are boarded up. Uh, there are restaurants that have gone and bars that have gone out of business because of the pandemic. Uh, in general, Louisiana has handled the pandemic very poorly and it has damaged the city. It has damaged the state. And for a city that relies on tourism, it has been deadly. And so I walk to the stadium as I always do when I'm in New Orleans from my hotel and there's nothing, nothing, no fans, no rock, you know, no street music, no, partying, and that does, as you guys know, you walk to the Superdome, you're fighting your way through crowds of people who are drunk already. Yeah. 9.30 a.m. Especially for a good Saints team. Yeah, and a good Saints team and a meaningful game. They won the division, and and the Vikings are a big rival of theirs. Yes, they've certainly become one, yes. Yeah, absolutely nothing. Going to the stadium, you know, I was I covered the NFC Championship game following the 2009 season. Harv against the Saints, one of the greatest games and one of the greatest storylines I've ever been around and that game you felt you were vibrating the entire time in the press box you felt like you were tuning for it. nothing in this game the only noise they, they really played the PA system really loud but you know that's so artificial it doesn't even count there were a few fans in each end zone and when Kamara scored a sixth touchdown I heard a, a faint chant but it was very faint and then I walked back after the Saints win a big game win the division title you know, Sean Payton's dancing in their locker room and everything. I walked back, nothing. Not a single fan, didn't hear any music. So it's bizarre and it's sad to be here for this. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's quite a, a strange. I mean, we, you know, we see it in a lot of cities, but for that one especially to be like that is, is, uh, a pretty shocking change. The, uh, yeah, I mean, it just, when you think about the number of consequential games the Vikings have played down there. And this, for a lot of reasons, could have been one of those, but that changes it, and the way they play it certainly changed 
the whole thing too. And the Vikings certainly caught a break that there weren't uh, 70,000 Saints yeah. fans deafening that. Yeah, Saints scored 83 points or something. <laughs> if, if, yeah, that would have been 52 to 13 potentially, not right. actually some 20-point difference. But you, Kirk would have had a much harder time moving that ball had you had all those Saints fans in there. Um, yeah, the Vikings actually caught a break on that one, but it's just a sad, it's just a sad outcome and, and a, a fitting ending, a penultimate ending, I should say, to the Vikings season here. So they're officially out of playoff contention. We know that. Um, Ben, I thought it was interesting. Kirk Cousins was asked the question, I think, just reading the transcript. Um, where do you go from here? <laughs> That's a good question. Ben, where do they go from here? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I, cause I don't know how they're going to approach it. I mean, I, I think it, it would certainly be worth exploring the possibility of playing as a Cleveland at left tackle. Now, Riley Reef has money riding on that decision. Um, if he was, and I think he was on the field for every snap today, he, he probably has played enough to make it so that he won't lose any money from that. Cause he has to have play at like 92 and a half percent of their snaps to make $2 million. He's probably already guaranteed himself a million dollars that he had given up in that contract renegotiation. Uh, back in August, but so I, well, I'll be interested to see how they do that. I I think it'd be worth looking at that with Ezra Cleveland at left tackle if you're still considering the possibility of playing him there. But other than that, it's like, do you run Dalvin Cook out there? Do you? I mean, Justin Jefferson limped off late in the game today, and you know, at, at that point, I'm kind of sitting there wondering why is this guy still in this game? And you know, do you put him back out there next week? Um, do you play Cousins? You know, when Cousins is taking a lot of hits, I, I think they will. I, I think they'll go ahead and try to win the game just because that's been their MO. But you have a lot of guys that probably could use the week or at the very least not have another chance to get hurt. So there's that. And then the question of where do they go from here? I mean, we're going to hear the entire offseason about how different this would have been if they'd had Barr and Kendrick's these last few games and Michael Pierce and Daniel Hunter. And that's fair. I mean, that, that, that's certainly a valid point. They also looked at this season, knowing by the time the draft was rolling around and certainly by early part of free agency, that there was a pandemic that could affect the off season. And they still chose to go with the overhaul of their defense, believing that they could make it work. Um, was that a mistake? Was what they got out of the young corners playing as much as they did going to be beneficial? Or are we going to see these guys go anywhere? I, I mean, I think a lot of the question of what do you get out of this is wrapped up in how much better are these young guys going to be and, and how much of a jump can they make in year two? Yeah, and, and to me, and I guess, Jim, tell me if you disagree with this. To me, it's it's – this season's kind of telling them more about how the front office and the coaching staff solely misjudged the defense. And that's even if it had Anthony Barr and if it had Eric Kendricks at that point, you knew you were going to be without Daniel Hunter, at least for some portion of that season, because he had gone down as early as he did in August. You knew Michael Pierce wasn't showing up yet. You traded for Yannick Ngakwe and then sent him away after five games because you weren't going anywhere as a team. Um, Mike Zimmer admitted it with his coverage calls early in the year. It just seemed like they overestimated what they had going into this year. And I think that goes to overestimating themselves to a certain extent. Zimmer thought he could piece it together. Spielman thought, I'll draft good enough cornerbacks that we can rebuild on the fly. I mean, 
if they had said last year, okay, this is, uh, and this is where it's hard to gauge, you know, if they come out and say, you know what, this might be a rough year. We're going to rebuild the, the secondary. We're going to, we might not have our defensive line. I mean, we'd probably hammer them for that too, but we've all been covering these people for a long time now. And there is certain arrogance there. There's a certain arrogance that, Hey, Spielman, Hey, I'll, I'll kick ass in the draft. We'll fix this. We can fix it on the fly. We're only going to compete in Zimmer's arrogance. I'll, I'll, I'll always have a good defense. And they kind of got caught. I think they kind of got caught thinking that they could do it. And now here we are and they're looking at maybe six and 10 and we can say, well, you didn't this year. Yeah, they certainly did not. And I, I just don't know if it's um, going to be one or two or three players away if the problem's that easy to fix. Uh, ben, what did you have to add? Well, a lot of this reminds me of 2016, I guess, in the sense that they made this, you know, Teddy, his knee collapses three days before the end of the preseason or whatever it was. Um, they make the trade for Sam Bradford based on the belief that we have a team that can take the next step and compete for conference championship and, you know, go play in the Super Bowl. That was a team coming off a division title uh, that had a young defense that was on the way up. They had Adrian Peterson coming back from a rushing title. I mean, they had a lot of things that they liked. Was that team good enough to pay what they paid for Sam Bradford? I mean, this is, a, I'm not saying that we sit here and litigate that decision again, It's, but it is instructive. Of, I think how they think it's a lot of times they have tended to operate under the belief that I would sum up this way. The things that we have had go wrong in the past, we will fix. And the things that we've had go right in the past, will go right again. And, you know, we, all we need to do is patch the holes and we won't have any new ones because uh, everything we've done that's worked will, you know, that's, that's repeatable, that's sustainable. So if we fix things, we're good to go. So I think that Bradford trade was a little bit of that and saying, Hey, all we need is a quarterback. We're good to go. Um, Signing Cousins in some ways reflects a little bit of that approach. And I think Ngakwe is a little bit of that too, saying, hey, if we get another pass rusher to replace Daniel Hunter when he's hurt, we'll be fine because we can put this together and we have an offense that can help bridge that gap and and go score enough points that we won't need to worry about the learning curve on defense. So I I think they tend to operate that way. And and like Jim said, this is – this is not a front office or a decision-making regime that we don't know. I mean, there, there is a long pattern now with Rick Spielman, Mike Zimmer, uh, even the Wilts. I mean, you know, there's a lot of scouting report on these guys, and part of it is going to be the off-season narrative. We know what we're going to hear. We know in some ways where we're going to hear that from. So uh, I just bring this up to say – if you're wanting to be able to parse through some of this, when you hear this stuff, uh, keep some of those things in mind because that has tended to be how it's gone. And I just think it's worth considering some of the context there. Yeah. And there's, there's a stat thrown out, um, at some point during the game about Kirk Cousins, I think reaching 30 touchdowns and Dalvin Cook surpassing 1500 yards and how all the teams that have had those two kind of skill players at those positions reach those marks have made the playoffs one playoff games and the Vikings are synced or cemented into a losing season. And that just doesn't happen. And you have those two pieces perform statistically as well as they have. And it's, 
I'm, I'm looking for the word, but it's, it's quite something that when Mike Zimmer finally gets the offense rolling the way it is, and I'm not saying it's perfect, certainly, because we saw it play poorly at times, but he hasn't had it as potent as it is right now. And it, it's when the defense is at its absolute worst. And it just couldn't be more misaligned in terms of those kind of things coming together. And I guess it's just fitting right now of the Mike Zimmer era. And that's the first losing season since 2014. But um, we'll have all offseason, I guess, to discuss – how much of that was to be expected given their, their roster and, and what they can do moving forward. Um, is there anything else we should talk about before we break this podcast? Well, you know what season it is now? Uh, draft season, right? Let's go for hoop season. They beat Iowa. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just talk go for hoops for now. Let's get Marcus on here. Come on. That's right. We'll turn this into the Gopher Hoops podcast and be following Marcus and all of his work. Um, this town needs a winner somewhere, man. <laughs> yeah. Are, are not the Gophers eight and one? <laughs> they did not just beat the fourth ranked team in the country. See, I'm still trying to catch up with Peach's group. I guess they didn't do too well this year. Anyway. Uh, did they play this year? <laughs> I think they might have. <laughs> All right. Zero. Well, thank you for checking out this episode of the podcast. Please check out all of our work at startribune.com. Maybe you should get off the podcast. <laughs>